This is Attack of the 20th Century. Thank you for joining us as we explore science fiction, fantasy, and horror films of the 20th century. I am your host, Jeff. And I'm your other host, Kim. Welcome to episode 12, where we review our second Hammer Horror film, having already reviewed The Horror of Dracula. We are talking about The Gorgon, released October 18th, 1964. Make sure you look for us on Instagram and Facebook at Attack of the 20th Century, that's 20TH. We post our next movie selections there, you can comment, give your thoughts, and they just might make it on the air. Last week you heard our rooster crowing on the <laughs> podcast, uh, so yes. if you've kept up with our story, uh, you know, we just had hens. And we have basically we had about ten hens, and then the fox situation happened. Maybe right. a dog situation happened. We're down to two hens. Yes. And one night I put the chickens up, meaning I basically shut the doors so nothing can get in and and get right. them. Well, um, we should say basically they're free range chickens during the day. Right. The kids open the coop in the morning, let them out, and they run all over our five acres and maybe a few of the neighbors' acres yeah. too. Yeah. They put themselves to bed at night, and we just go out and lock the coop up yeah. for the night to so keep if it's foxes dark, at bay. You just shut the door, lock it up. Right. Assuming all is well. <laughs> yes. There was a particular evening, the kids and I uh, got home after dark, and so I had said, hey, kids, go lock up the chickens. And Jeff said, no, no, I've already done it. They're locked up for the night. Okay, thanks, Dad. Great. So the next morning, we get up and do our normal routine. Nyla has all of her bajillion animals to feed, and the boys go and let the chickens out and make sure they're fed and watered. Uh So our oldest runs out to the chicken coop to let them out and quickly runs back to the house and says, Mom, there's a rooster in our coop. And I'm like, no, that's not possible. Your dad locked it up last night. How would a rooster get into a locked coop? (laughs) Sure enough, I go out there and there's a rooster locked into our coop with the two hens, (laughs) which apparently the only way we can figure this is he put himself to bed with the hens the night before. And when you locked up the coop, you just saw chicken butts on chicken roost and thought, good, chickens are in bed, lock the coop. But yeah, didn't realize there was an infiltrator. (laughs) We don't know where he came from, but he really hit the jackpot. We talked about he shows up, he gets food, he gets water, he gets to free range in our yard. He gets, he gets ladies. He gets ladies <laughs> all to himself. Right. And so yesterday he got, him and his women, they got a <laughs> brand new chicken coop built for them. Uh, something that we'd already been working on for a couple I was going to say, weeks. you made that sound like a, you just went out there and whipped up a chicken coop no, yesterday. No, I'm a little... I'm a little bitter that this guy just happens along and doesn't earn his keep. You know, This is a rooster up. with good timing is what this is. Yeah. He really hit the jackpot, though. He shows up. Now he has a brand new house. And that's what we spent our entire day doing yesterday. Uh, we'd already constructed most of it. But yesterday was a lot of painting, a lot of... Uh, Yes. Create, like cutting out doors and getting them fitted. It just takes time. You know, any of these yeah. projects always take way longer than you think they should. Well, yeah. We have day jobs and three kids and, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, my day job is the three kids. But, yeah. But, you know, it's every time we start a project like this, we're like, yeah, a couple weekends, we'll knock this out, build a new chicken coop. Right. And two months later, we have a chicken coop. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see if they can put themselves to bed tonight, if they'll actually roost on those roost bars, if all <laughs> we'll will see. be well. I'm sure they'll figure it out. Yeah, eventually they'll realize, oh, that's where the food and water is now. That's where we want to go. Right. 
Something else that we did this week that was pretty cool, we watched the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. That's right. All four hours of it. All four hours. We broke it up, though, I'll say. We broke it up into two... Don't think we're heroes. Yeah. It was almost three watching nights, didn't we? Was it two nights or three nights? It was two nights. Two nights? Felt like Uh, three. But it was good that they had uh, chapters... Or I don't know what you call it, but they had like they had it split it up like into chapters. parts. I don't remember what they called it, but it looked it felt like chapters. Yeah, yeah. so that was smart. So then yeah. you can you can get it however you want it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, what did you think of it versus the original cut of Justice League? Well, I like deep storytelling, and so I I appreciated that there was just so much more backstory. I feel like Cyborg finally got like he was like such a bump on the log. Mm-hmm. In that first release of Justice League, there was just yeah. nothing to him, and we saw so little of him. So at least, like, he really almost became the central character yeah, of this he did. one. Yeah. Um. So I I liked that for his character because he was so flat and just so minimal yeah. and not in a great way. Yeah. In that first, he just set. seemed grouchy the whole movie. Yeah, and now you really know why. Like, yeah. he he has a reason to feel mad that yeah. he even exists, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so I appreciated that. Are we going spoiler free? We're not. I mean, oh, I yeah, guess we people have to seen... stay spoiler free for this one. Okay. All right. So, um, no, I enjoyed it. I, could I have sat four hours straight and watched it? No, because I struggle mm. to keep my eyes open Yeah. if I sit down in a chair. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, but at least it was, you know, we yeah. broke it up fine and it was, it was watching. Now, originally they were talking about splitting up the movie into two, oh. two Justice League, Justice League films, part one, part two. Uh, hmm. But I don't know where that split would have happened naturally because they really spend the whole movie setting up kind of the final battle. So yeah. You, so it makes sense why they're all coming together to fight this one being. And I did like that this uh, version really explains the Steppenwolf backstory much better. Right. That's true. We got a lot more backstory. Yeah. I think the the bonus of this whole movie was all the backstory yeah. you got mm-hmm. from all of the characters, really. Right. I mean, less so Batman, but Batman's had backstory out the wazoo for yeah. eons, you know? Yeah. You don't really need backstory. And Superman, we didn't need yeah. backstory on him either. So, But the the we'll say side characters, because typically Superman and Batman are the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, you got a lot more from them. So. Yeah. That helped. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would say the last part made a lot more sense. They cut some things that I'm glad that they cut out. Um, like they have this one family in this nondescript part of the world uh, that they follow in the first Justice League. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see what you're got, saying. Uh, I guess those were, they were part of the reshoots. Joss Whedon stuff. You're right. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. And then this whole, there was this nasty uh, tentacle-type plant with uh, uh, spikes coming out of it that was growing all over the the village at an incredible rate. Oh, I forgot all about that. That was all cut. Yeah. Um, There was only one part of the movie that I missed from the first one was when Aquaman sits on the lasso of truth. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I will say that must have been all Joss Whedon, the, the comedic. Yeah. Stuff from the original release because that most all of that all of that is gone. It's all really gone, from yeah. The, yeah, so there's no comedy from Aquaman and this cut. So you do miss that. Aquaman's a lot grouchier or sterner yeah. in this movie than he was in the original cut. Which right. I guess it depends on what you're looking for. If you're like a throwback Aquaman from the comics, mm-hmm. um, and from is it uh, Batman Bolden the Brave. <laughs> I always want to say Bolden the Beautiful. Isn't that a I think that was an old uh 
soap opera or something. Yeah. I don't know. The, um, the bold and the brave. Bold and the brave. Yeah, our son lo- loves to watch those cartoons. And Aquaman is, he's goofy. Like, yeah. he's funny. He's, he's a jokester. Yeah. And uh, you don't you don't get that from Momoa's no. Aquaman. Not I, now, anyhow. Maybe a little bit in Joss Whedon's version, but not yeah. in this. I yeah. still think this film suffers from trying to do too much. And, yeah. you know, we had a Batman uh, backstory and Superman backstory, but, you know, they were trying to cram in a Flash backstory. Yes. Uh, obviously, like Steppenwolf and Darkseid, you know, their right. backstory. The uh, Aquaman movie hadn't been released at this point. No. Okay. You're right. And we got a lot of Mira in this version. Yeah. and But she didn't know Aquaman other than by his identity. Like, she didn't know him. Right, yet. right, which is weird. She yeah. had a British accent, too. I need to go back and watch Aquaman. Because I, I know, I can't remember. I don't remember her having a British accent in the Aquaman movie. Yeah. But it's been a while since it has we've been seen a while. that. I mean, we know how my memory works. Um, but yeah, I feel the, like they were trying to cram in too many people's backstories into one film. And it, it would have helped. And we've it, this has been talked about ad nauseum. But, you know, Marvel, they have a film for every superhero, pretty right. much. So everybody, you get everybody their backstory. Everybody gets their take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they all come together for their movies. So it makes sense, you know, for right. the Avengers made sense. Because, all right, where they're all we coming together. We know all these people, exactly. And you can just kind of hit the ground running with whatever the baddie is and whatever they're trying to do. All right. right let's all come together. And then we know what everybody's specialties are and their personality, what they're bringing to the table yeah. to fight this bad, super mm-hmm. bad guy. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoyed it. It's still... It still is something. It's missing something. I don't know. It doesn't have. Um, it didn't have fun factor at all. No. Yeah. I. I. Have, I just have. I think I've always said this. Um, DC takes themselves too seriously, or something. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. There's something there that's just. I get wanting to go be a darker, edgier comic universe. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Yeah, but I, I think you can. You can balance that too. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a comic, uh, you know, expert. <laughs> expert, exactly. Not the expert here, but there. You're right. There's mm-hmm. something, something missing. The hot dog cart scene with mm-hmm. uh, Flash. So Flash ends up being he's the comedic presence in this yeah. version of the movie, and and he was in the first cut too. Right. I mean, he had some comedic presence, so he's funny. But I felt like that was a scene we didn't have to have, like mm-hmm. rescuing the girl from mm-hmm. getting smashed and yeah. You know, whatever. Well, you know, so yeah, he rescues this uh, young lady who kind of, he had a little bit of a connection with. Right. So they had made eyes at but each other like, or whatever. Yeah, two young millennials making uh, eye contact across right. a room kind of thing. But, you know, they never come back to her. So then you no. wonder if they're going to, is that going to be so in a future what, movie? Or? Exactly. Was it a throwaway scene? Or are we going to see that again? I mm. don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't so. have to grab up. A hot dog out of slow motion midair. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> Just goofy. But no, uh, it, but it was it was good. I think it was much better than the first Justice League. I think you. Yeah. I think you need to watch it and see. I mean, if you liked Batman versus Superman, I think you like this a little better than Batman versus Superman. Uh, I think it's kind of on par. Those three films: Man of Steel, Batman versus mm-hmm. Superman, and uh, the Justice League. Well, today we are reviewing the movie The Gorgon, and yes. normally Kim does this part where she says that, uh, you know, this is a spoiler zone, so be aware. If you haven't <laughs> seen the film and don't want to hear spoilers, 
stop this and go back and watch the film and then come back. Uh, I'm saying it now because we're about to have a game. Yes, a game. A Jeff game. <laughs> a Jeff game that involves this movie. And you have to know the ending of this movie for this game to make any sense. So there's your warning. But The Gorgon is pretty much an Everybody Dies film. So when I was yes. trying to figure out some little fun thing for us to do for this podcast, I thought everybody in this film pretty much dies except for Christopher Lee. And he really only shows up like in the last 30 minutes of the film. Yeah, he's hardly there. So even though he's a big name, he's not really a big character, somebody that we're following along in this movie. He just kind of shows up and chops mm-hmm. her head off at the end. So <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's the rules for our game. Are you game for a game, by the way? Sure. Yep. Yep. I don't normally get to say <laughs> no to these things anyhow. So here we go. The entire world is listening. So no pressure. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so the rules for this game are the top characters have to die. So the uh, last Harry Potter film, for instance... Uh. Even though there's top our top three characters and heroes that we love, and you know, I don't want to spoil Harry Potter for you, but um, <laughs> it's been around a while. I think people have seen Harry Potter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, two main characters survive, uh, one dies, and then something else happens. But um, so that doesn't really count because our our main people that we love and care about uh, they survive. See, you took away my go to right there. Yeah, sorry Even about that. Even Harry dies. I know. Jeez. Okay. But doesn't he so come what, back, though? I mean, he does. He does. He rises from the dead. But Snape, his why doesn't, oh, why doesn't Voldemort rise, too, if they're connected? Oh, well, oh, my gosh. Hanshaw, you got to read the books. Okay. This is going to be the bane of the rest of my life is to get you to read these books. <laughs> I've opened a can of worms here. <sighs> All right. You Move don't on have to with your game. Now. I can't go into the Harry Potter stuff okay, right now. Okay. So uh, another example, a movie like The Poseidon Adventure. The whole crew and everybody on the ship dies. Yeah. Except for like four or five of our top main characters. Oh. And they survive. So that doesn't count. They don't count. Titanic's another example. Another boat sinking movie, right? Uh, yep. Uh, Rose lives. She's the main girl we've been following this whole film. She lives. So yeah. that doesn't count. Spicy take. I never liked that movie anyhow. What? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Every other woman on the planet my age just gave me side eye right now. But Aww. eh, it's not my fave. Well, like we said the other day, the what scene really got me was when those musicians were playing and they went down with the ship. That is the most majestic scene of the whole movie. Yes. But anyhow, moving on. <laughs> moving our on. Game. So I'll get us started. Obviously, uh, you know, films pop into your head and then other ones you gotta think through. And the one that popped into my head immediately, and I'll get us started is Rogue One. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Everybody yeah. literally does die. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, as far as just good films where everybody dies, and we know that they die, you know, because that was the other right. thing we talked about. Um, the thing is kind of, it ends with two characters left talking, and it's presumed that they're going to freeze to death or die. One's going to be a bad guy, one's going to be a good guy. Right, or, right. It's all just, you don't know. Yeah. So that doesn't count? It doesn't count. Okay, but Rogue One counts. Rogue One counts, because we saw them, they blew up. They're dead. Okay. Uh, So basically, your main person has to die for this to count for your game. Yeah, if there's a couple, they both have to die. If there's a a main good guy, they need to die. The bad guy doesn't necessarily have to die, because I thought about it. You you and I did uh, The Omega Man. Right. And Charlton Heston dies. Oh, yeah. But the main bad guy lives, I'm pretty sure. But most of the rest of the world is dead. Why does that movie not count? <laughs> it doesn't count. Because his girlfriend survives, too. Oh, even though she's infected. Well, yeah, she's infected. But I guess it's presumed they're going to save her. Right? Yeah. 
Let's presume she's going to live. All right. So does Braveheart count? Yes. Definitely. Okay. So that's my first pick. We see Mel Gibson getting gutted like a fish. Ugh. That counts. Yeah. It's it's that's always been on my top. Like I just love that movie. Have loved yeah. that movie since I don't know. I think it came out when I was in high school. Um, yeah. So I'm claiming Braveheart. Okay. And I, I will have to say I did have to do a little poking around because this is not my wheelhouse. Like mm-hmm. I don't. I don't love movies where most everybody dies. That's a real depressed fest. I don't know anybody that loves movies where everybody dies. And I don't think a lot of movies are made like this because if you start poking around on the old Google, Mm -hmm. there's some pretty short list of movies where everybody (laughs) dies. I saw like top 15, top 30. Yeah. And everybody lists the exact same movies. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Because I was like... Uh, why do I have such a hard time thinking of these? Just because I don't like these types of movies mm-hmm. and nobody else does either. Well, because I don't there's think, not that many of them made. You know, they, I think what a lot of these uh, theater or I'm sorry, movie executives do is they'll uh, show these movies to people and get a test screening, mm. engage the audience uh, reaction. And nobody likes them. And they don't like it when everybody <laughs> dies. So they'll reshoot with somebody living. Right. You know, just to give you a little like, add a okay. scene or something. Yeah, they'll add a it. scene. I see. All right. Well, I'm sticking with Braveheart because I do actually love that movie and a whole lot of Scots die mm-hmm. and the main Scotsman. So yeah. William Wallace takes it pretty bad in the end. Yeah. Yeah, he does. <laughs> you know. And the King of England dies too at the end. Oh, yeah. He's like very sickly and coughing and they get their little dig in there at the end. That yeah. William Wallace's child will live on. Anyhow, I won't, I won't deep dive Braveheart right now. <laughs> Uh, my second one that I'll throw out there, and we're just going to do top three because, you know, there's really not enough for us to go through like a top 10 list. No. We'd be here a long time trying to figure out what are our two, 10 favorite. Yeah. Uh, but my second, I'm going to go with Somewhere in Time. Boo. <laughs> and I just saw this in 2020 for the first time. That was the first time you saw it? Yeah. When you made me watch it, it was the second time you saw it. Yeah, that's correct. Ugh. She hated it. <laughs> It's terrible. <laughs> it's not terrible. It's good. Oh, man. It's, it's good. Yeah, okay. Christopher Reeves does an awesome job, and Jane Seymour, you know. They, I like both of those actors They do a great much. job in this movie, too. I don't like the premise of the entire movie. And they end up together in the end, so. Uh, but dead. <laughs> yes. But they die, and I enjoyed the film. So it's on the list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, this is another depressed fest, but I am not alone in thinking that this movie is one of the greats. Uh, it's a it's a great modern movie. Um, Saving Private Ryan, mm. hard to watch, but so good, so yeah. so good. And of course, our beloved Tom Hanks has to die in the end so that Private Ryan can he can fulfill his mission of bringing home Private right. Ryan because all of his brothers had also been killed in World War Two. Right, and so that was the whole point was Tom Hanks had to bring home the one surviving son to this family. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a tough watch. And, of course, it's the setting is World War II, so mm-hmm. basically everybody's dying. Yeah. yeah. We went to the World War II Museum in New Orleans. Yeah, that's an amazing a place. A year or so ago. Was yeah. it 2019, I think? Ooh. It had, well, it wasn't 2020. We didn't go anywhere yeah. in 2020. Yeah. Went to West Virginia in 2020. No, no. So, yeah, and that you know, you they have so much memorabilia and things from oh, yeah. the invasion of Normandy. They had all those kind of vehicles right. that hit the shore mm-hmm. when during the storming of the, the landers, the troop yeah. landers. 
Uh, interesting tidbit. That's why that National World War II Museum is in New Orleans is because the guy who created those boats to land the, the troops onto the beaches of Normandy was from New Orleans. Yeah, that's right. So that last name starts with an H, but I can't remember what it is at the I moment. I have no idea. I can't remember. But anyhow, remember. That, I just, you jogged my memory. Oh, cool. Well, most of it. Not all of it. <laughs> yeah, not all of it. This H guy lived in New Orleans, but... Uh, he made those boats <laughs> that landed the troops. <laughs> all right. Uh, so my third film is also a war movie, Bridge on the River Kwai. Oh, okay. I do like that movie. But yeah, most yeah. everybody dies. That's one I saw when I was a, uh, I don't know, a preteen. Yeah. I always really liked it. And then we watched it again a few years ago. Um, and yeah. we watched it with our kids a year or so ago. Yeah. And it was definitely cool. It's a good movie. It's Alec Guinness at his best, I would say. Sure. Young Alec Guinness. Right, right. The whole uh, ending is a little bit of a depressed fest, too. It is, it is. Well, everybody dies. Everybody <laughs> dies. All right, your last one? Okay, so I, I don't know if this is a tweak or not, but because the list of movies that are known and that everybody dies in is not very long, and I dislike almost everything or haven't seen almost everything on those lists, <laughs> I'm taking a... Um, a Shakespeare twist on Ooh. this. Um, Shakespeare obviously was not a movie maker, but his plays have been adapted into movies a hundred billion times over. So I'm going with Hamlet. Ooh. There are several filmed versions of Hamlet, and literally everybody dies in Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> now, which, uh, which film version are you going to go with, though, is your version? Uh, well, I love David Tennant. So his 2009 version I have seen. It's very good. But there's also, I think, a late 90s version that Kenneth Branagh directs. Oh, yeah. And he's just amazing. Anyhow, I love Kenneth Branagh. He gets Shakespeare if anybody gets Shakespeare. Yeah, he is the quintessential Shakespeare actor yeah. So of our modern times, anyhow. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that, that episode, not episode, that version of it is fantastic. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, we start off with Hamlet's father dying and he has to come back and he finds out that his mother's marrying his uncle, who was also the murderer of his father. And then mm-hmm. he's involved in a plot and he creates a play within a play and makes this other poor person go mad that kills himself. And he and his mom both end up dying. I mean, it's just tragedy on top of tragedy. Right. It's the most tragical of all Shakespeare tragedies, <laughs> I think. So you there you it. go. Everybody dies <laughs> and it makes my list of three. <laughs> Okay, before we jump into our discussion of the Gorgon this week, we are going to do something new to us because Mm -hmm. we're still baby wet behind the ears podcasters. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to introduce folks to another podcast to try out. Ooh. Yeah. So this podcast is called You're Not Gonna Like This, which immediately (laughs) I just like the name of that. Yes. Uh, But it's two friends, Andrew Caudill and Seth Reed, who basically have very different interests and they take turns on the podcast presenting one of their niche interests to the other and trying to convince them to care or be interested or, or just regaling them with random facts about something they know about. And they're just funny. Yeah. It's like you're part of their conversation. They're kind of meandering and just normal sounding guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I usually come away learning something. Yeah. And they're just kind of a hoot to listen to. Yeah. They're really intelligent and they're funny. Uh, but when they talk, they kind of talk just like two buddies would talk. Yeah, like you're place. sitting around a coffee table with them yeah, or something. Which is really cool. I'm excited to play something that we received from them. It oh. is a promo of their podcast. Excellent. So we will listen to that right now, and we'll talk a little more about them in just a second. Hey, I'm Andrew. And I'm Seth. 
We're two friends and we host You're Not Gonna Like This. It's a podcast where each week we take turns pitching one of our weird interests to the other, and there's a new topic every time. Like the history of law enforcement. <laughs> Man, has there been a cooler character in history than McGruff? No, you know, dog? I thought I used to think that Joe Cool from Peanuts was oh. cooler than McGruff, but then uh, there was that time when McGruff snapped him in half. <laughs> <laughs> American folklore. He was an asexual giant who couldn't dunk. I mean, if you can't, if you can't have sex and you can't dunk, I mean, what is there to live for? Ancient religions. So the, I mean, to bring it back to the Grinch, he would have gone to hell. Yeah, his, his heart grew three wow, sizes. I think, I think we're all in agreement <laughs> across religions. <laughs> so check us out every Monday. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere that podcasts and friendship can be found. Well, very cool. If you follow us on Instagram, you will see that we every Friday we do a segment called Feature Friday. Mm -hmm. And this Friday we are going to feature You're Not Going to Like This. So be looking out for that. Yay. Am I just rolling with this? (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for you to say whatever you said last time. Why don't you tell us about the plot of the film? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So... We are finally going to actually discuss the Gorgon on this episode. We've done a lot of rabbit chasing up until now, but we are here to talk about the Gorgon this week. So uh, the Gorgon, like the horror of Dracula, was directed by Terrence Fisher. The music is also by James Bernard, and it stars Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Even though we mentioned earlier, Christopher Lee only shows up in like the last quarter of the movie, really. So basically, it's a early 1900s town in, is it German? Yeah, Germany. Yeah, so it's a little German town that's kind of being terrorized by these mysterious murders over the last seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you find out is that these people aren't just being murdered they're finding their bodies completely turned to stone. And so we're trying to figure out, like, why are these, who's killing these bodies? Why are they turning to stone? And of course, there's a whole Medusa character, which is mm-hmm. actually not Medusa, it's Magira, I yes. think is how they pronounce it. Yeah, her name. Magira. Yes. So we find out that Magira is the one actually, when she was chased out of. I don't know, Greece or wherever she was chased out of. She has for hundreds of years been hiding herself out in an abandoned, what looks like an abandoned castle or manor house or something outside of this tiny German town and is terrorizing the whole countryside. Right. And they're keeping quiet about it. Yeah. And they're keeping quiet about it. Like people are trying to come in and figure it out and say, hey, you guys have Mm -hmm. a Gorgon on your hands. And they're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's you. You're the killer. (laughs) Today, they'd have their uh, cell phones out, be trying to post on Instagram, live stories. Right. I'm outside of Magira's uh, mansion right now. <laughs> yeah. But back then, they were hush-hush. Yeah. We can't tell anybody that we have this terrible thing in our town. No, no. And there's really nothing German about this movie except for... No, not at all. ...the funny hats that the cops wear. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> in that fact, when they come out... literally the only German thing in this whole movie. Yeah. When they come out, I'm like, why are these British guys wearing all these funny German... Stupid dog? hats. <laughs> these stupid hats. <laughs> well, they're supposed to be German. Oh, well... Interesting. I another thing I found interesting about this is that on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie gets a sixty-four percent from like the critics or whatever, mm-hmm. but the audience score is only a forty-eight percent. Yeah. So it's a pretty pretty big discrepancy, and it's a reverse of a discrepancy we usually talk about on yeah. here. Like normally, you'll see a low critic score, but then you might have a really high audience or a 
at least higher audience score right. because there's like a cult following, you know, this movie gained popularity later, uh-huh. that sort of thing. We have the reverse here, which I find interesting. Well, I think when you see these big names, right, Terrence Fisher, James Bernard, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, mm-hmm. Hammer Horror, you're right. expecting something really special. Yeah, yeah. And this is... A really good film, but it's not special, right? It's not right. Exactly. It's uh, it was it missed the mark, right? For sure, for sure. Um, so, just an interesting tidbit: Megira is actually borrowed from another character in Greek mythology, uh, one of the Furies. Oh. Now, I'm not an expert in the Furies. Were there like three sisters? Is that right? There's three sisters. So okay. Homer spoke of a single gorgon originally. Uh, this monster of the underworld. Right. And then later, there was a Greek poet named Hesiod. Hesiod, yeah. Hesiod, okay. From around 700 BC. And he reimagined the Gorgons as sea demons and then increased their number to three. Oh, so that's when they became three. Okay. Yeah. So the three sisters you have Steno, who's the mighty, <laughs> you have Uriel. The Far Springer, which I don't really know what that means. Far Springer. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Jumps from Asia. She had those like moon Africa. shoes. <laughs> well, that was a far spring. <laughs> and then, of course, the one we all know is the uh, is Medusa, the queen. Oh, she's the queen of the three sisters. I bet they loved her for that. <laughs> and for some reason, she's the only one that is mortal. So the oh. other two are immortal. And that's why later on, you know, we have Perseus and that, that whole story where he has to kill the Gorgon. Right, right. And uh, all that. But yeah, why don't we go ahead and start with the things that this movie got right. Our sure. high five segment. So all who right. would you give a high five to or for what would you give a high five for this film? Okay. So again, this being, you know, kind of a new genre for me to pay attention to. Um, I'm, I'm starting to understand some things, I think, about what is a hammer horror film and mm-hmm. the aesthetic. And so I feel like the aesthetic was definitely there. Yeah. Like, I I think I know enough now. If I No one told me what was on. It was just playing in the background, you know, if I showed up at a restaurant or a party or somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would recognize this as a hammer horror film because it yeah. got the aesthetic right. You know, there's these beautiful matte paintings. I don't know. The color seems really saturated in these movies. I really yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's almost like a gray cast to everything that lends to that, you know, really atmospheric mood and um, just that you know it's going to be something kind of macabre and gothic when yeah. you right when you see those matte paintings and the the cast of the colors and everything. Yeah. So, it's so that, beautiful. Yeah, I just it's, love it. it's gorgeous, and it's just, it's really well done as far as set design and, and mm-hmm. cinematography. Oh, yeah. No, I love it. Uh, that's one of the things that just draws me to this genre is really that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm when we say I like horror, I don't really like a bunch of, Brutality. Yeah, or... you honestly don't love any modern horror whatsoever. No. <laughs> no. Nor do I, but no. yeah. But I like these just old kind of creepy films. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and this is some spookies going on. And yeah. These, the, the look, the aesthetic, I mean, that's what I really love right. about it. So I'll give a high five to Peter Cushing. And I would say probably in the last 12 months, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, like we did our, uh, well, who's your favorite Actors, you know, right. personal favorite. Peter's making a play. Okay. Let me tell you, he's, he's doing a push. Working his way up your list. He's working his way up. Okay. Um, here's something that's 
you know, we've seen from watching a lot of movies is sometimes you can tell when people are acting. Sure. And, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, this is not you. Right. <laughs> you're right. an actor, you're doing a performance and you're giving it your all. But I, I'm taken out of the movie because right. of your how you're portraying this character. Mm-hmm. For Peter Cushing, he is whoever the character is. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel I like he believes it. I mean, the way he portrays it. And I, I watched a little bit of a, um, you know, backstory on how he approached, like even Dr. Van Helsing, or in this case, Dr. Nemiroff, uh, when he's in his work area He's not just saying, hey, I'm going to do some funny things in my science area just to look believable. Right. He, in his mind, says, oh, I'm going to put this with this because this chemical is that and this other chemical does that and together they do this. And so in his mind, mm-hmm. he's doing science and right. they happen to be filming him. So I think that approach is it's what gives him- It's almost method a... acting. Like he, yeah. he has a process he's going through. He's not just wiggling things on a desk while they're filming him. Correct. To pretend that he's being a scientist. Yeah. It, it's just fascinating. It works. I mean, it definitely works. His performances so, are very believable. Oh, yeah. So it, like Van Helsing, uh, you know, he's very scientifically minded. He's got a single-minded focus. You know, he doesn't get distracted. It's this character, Dr. Nemiroff, he does what he wants to do. He has his agenda. Mm-hmm. He's going to follow through. But what's different about this is normally we see him kind of uh, championing the good and the morality, uh, you know, things that are uh, altruistic. Mm-hmm. In this case, he lies he covers up this village, uh, Gorgon. He yeah. allows innocent people to be blamed for the deaths that they did not cause. Right. Uh, he's in love with this woman, but struggles to express his feelings for her. Um, and just kind of draws cold. You know, he kind of right. just becomes withdrawn. He's complex, you know. And yeah. I, I think, again, in a lot of movies, when somebody is torn or they're wrestling with their emotions... They acted out on the on film, uh-huh. and his is more nuanced than that. It's more, you know, it's a subtle thing that you're picking up. It's very subtle because it it definitely like I, it left me with questions, and I, mm-hmm. I'll save those for low points because okay. you know, again, sometimes I don't have low points as much as I have questions. Right, right. <laughs> I'll save that. Yeah. Another high five I will give is to Barbara Shelley playing Carla Hoffman. And she develops a relationship with Paul Heitz, the character whose father and brother were murdered by the Gorgon previously. Yes, brother and his dad, yeah. And so he shows up with a letter that had been written to him from his dad that uh, Dr. Nemiroff wanted to see, but he couldn't see it. So he sends Barbara Shelley's character to go to his house read the letter, and memorize it. So their relationship kind of starts with deceit. Yeah, but then it does. <laughs> over time, uh, you know, she starts falling for Paul legitimately. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, she's also struggling with memory loss. But you don't really know that in the beginning. You don't know that at all in the beginning. It's pretty late in the movie when you start realizing, like, oh, there's something going on with her. Yeah, she's struggling a little bit. Yeah. And they do a little bit of misdirection. Again, it's not, you know, one of the complaints about this movie for me is like, well, there's only three girls in this movie. Yeah. And two true. of them die halfway through. 
Yeah. So it was kind of easy to figure out. And then they did some major, major hints about three quarters of the way through. Right. That it's her. You know, Barbara Steele is the one that's... Oh, I think... I wonder if they almost realized maybe it's one of those, you know, when they did one of those uh, test screenings or something, they realized like, oh man, like we didn't give them anything in the beginning to hint that Barbara Steele might be part of the problem here. So they really started throwing some broad hints (laughs) about halfway through. Like, (laughs) oh yeah, by the way, in case you weren't getting it, we are trying to point you in this direction. Yeah. I mean, early on, they offer up this red herring of this uh, crazy lady that's in, you know, the custody of... Dr. Nemiroff. Because he, he's kind of like he's running an insane asylum yeah. on the side, right? Yeah. Which is a little shady. We didn't really get much explanation of that. No. I guess maybe if you live in a small enough village, the one doctor does all the things. He does all the things. <laughs> uh, he probably has uh, some animals out back that he's taking care of, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably does all the dentistry, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they offer up this uh, this lady as a red herring, but then they kill her off halfway through the film. Yeah. The mental patient lady. All right. Well, I'll throw out another actor for a high five here is Patrick Troughton. We've just seen him. What, this is the second time we've seen him in the past three movies we reviewed? Yeah, that's right. So um, he just seems to keep cropping up in these Mm -hmm. older films. And of course, we originally know him as what, Second Doctor? The Second Doctor, yeah. Yeah, so... And if if you're a Doctor Who fan, yeah, nobody had it tougher than him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because this whole idea of regeneration... Was so brand new. Was so brand new. Like the the first time they did it, that show was either going to sink or swim. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. think about it. How, when have you had a uh, you know a leading actor switch out after a few seasons? Yeah, and people were okay with it. And they're okay with it. Well, he's an alien. We're going to kill him off, and he's going to be reborn as a completely different looking yeah. person. And that this show dies if he yeah, doesn't Patrick pull it Trouton off. Patrick Trouton didn't sell that. There was no, you know, mm. 50 years of Doctor Who. Yeah. Or going into, what are we, into 60 now almost? Yeah, coming up on it, yeah. Yeah, so kudos to Patrick yeah. Trouton. So. But I, I will say, like, he is so morphable, if that's a word. Yeah. Um, I didn't, he looks so different here than he does as Doctor Who, and mm-hmm. he looks so different here than he does in the Jason and the Argonauts movie, where we just yeah. saw him a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Like he's really great at just becoming somebody else. Yeah, like you know, like you realize, oh wait, I think that's Patrick Troughton, yeah. but he's just completely a different guy. Which maybe that's why he was so able to sell his part as Doctor Who because mm-hmm. he can be that guy as an yeah. actor. Maybe that's why Doctor Who worked. Maybe, maybe, but you're right. Like I didn't. Most of the time, when I see him in movies, I don't recognize him at first. No, <laughs> like it takes I, me a exactly. little bit. Like, wait, I know that face. Yeah. In this case, in this movie, he looks kind of intimidating. I mean, he's got that mustache. Yeah, he looks in charge for sure. He looks in charge. He looks thicker. He than does normal. look thicker, and he, something about his eyes are so piercing in this movie. I think yeah. it has to do with the color saturation of the film. Mm-hmm. But he's so piercing looking he's yeah he's a force to be reckoned with and he doesn't normally come across that way yeah in other films yeah there's this whole mob of people that are about to beat up or throw out of town uh you know that paul guy's dad right and he shows up with like one other dude and chases them all off yeah chases off a whole mob they're like oh we are not tangling with him we're out of here (laughs) and he makes it believable and the guy's probably like five eight five nine i mean who knows how tall he is yeah yeah exactly but he sells it he does. He really does. So kudos to Patrick Troughton. Uh, one more high five I'll give, and it's to James Bernard. 
uh, the the music guy. I mean, this music is on point. I mean, mm-hmm. just as every bit of good as what he did in the horror of Dracula. All it's the- a perfect pairing with the cinematography and the yeah. ambiance we were talking about. You know, the aesthetic of the film. It just goes together. Mm-hmm. This these big hits, orchestral hits, loud, thunderous punches. He gets a high five from me. Now mm-hmm. it's funny when I watch a <laughs> like a documentary that's James Bernard. You know, oh, the British say Bernard. Bernard, not Bernard. Bernard. But then I don't feel like I'm legitimately able to say Bernard. No, because, you like, sound weird. <laughs> I sound, say, yeah, I sound uneducated, but a British person saying Bernard sounds right. Right. Well, you got to say it with a British accent, but yeah, we're not good at that. Yeah. So. Now, I have this struggle at work, you know, when in, uh, you know, work with a lot of people from overseas. Uh-huh. When one of them tells me their name with their accent, Oof. I'm like, all right. I think the expectation is that I just Americanize it and make it sound like my own way. Because if I try to imitate your voice, it seems like that's not how I you don't should know. do things. I always just ask. That's what I would do. Yeah. You know, like, am I saying this right? Is this an okay way to say your name the way I'm saying it right now? Because this is the way my mouth can say it. <laughs> so is this offensive or not? <laughs> yeah. Is this offensive to you? So if James Bernard is listening to this saying, Bernard, I hate that. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, James. <laughs> We're Southern Americans. This is what we got. <laughs> it just sounds like it would be wrong for me to say Bernard. <laughs> Don't say Bernard. Cause I'll be like, who are you talking about? <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. Well, let's get to some low points before we carry on. What, uh, what we, why don't you start us? Well, okay, so I'm going to start with, and I think you're going to tackle this probably in a deeper dive sort of way than I'm going to, but you just mentioned James Bernard and his music, his orchestral Uh hits. I just wish the action would have had the punch that the music did in this film. There's There's just a lack of, there's a lack of action. Yeah. Yeah, the movie is heavy with scenes of characters talking about things. Right. And then talking some more. And, you know, it's a small cast, so you hear, like, the same three or four people talking most of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I feel like this movie could have used some more action, maybe some more kills, some things that kind of break up the dialogue-heavy scenes. I would say, overall, the the pacing is a struggle for this film. Yes, yeah. They start off with a kill or two, and then it's like we're talking for a really long time. Mm. And then the Gorgon shows up. Uh, and we get to see a little bit of her in reflections as she's kind of tormenting that guy, Paul. Right. And then that's it. And we don't really get to see her again until the end of the movie. Yeah. That's the struggle with this one. Yeah. It just doesn't quite have everything there, mm-hmm. uh, script and plot wise. Another uh, low point I'll give is the Gorgon herself. And oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you finally do see her in the movie, the snakes are pretty ridiculous. Right. They looked pretty fake. She seems really immobile. I can't really see her coming at you very quickly. No, she looks like an old lady. Yeah. It's kind of like Mrs. Roper on a real bad day, right? If anybody out there watches <laughs> has watched Three's Company. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm, you're, she doesn't seem scary at all. If you just walk away from her and turn away from her, you'll be okay because she's not going to catch up yeah, to you. Yeah, I don't think she's going to catch you, pin you down, or, you know, mm-hmm. send out long tentacles to snag you or anything like that. Like, yeah. she, you know, just, just if you look at her, that's the only time you're in danger, <laughs> really. 
And the majority of her kills happen off screen, which can be cool. But right. you gotta, if you're building up to this, it's really building up anticipation. Like, all right, so they're showing the, or they're not showing me these kills and they're showing me the after effects. It looks pretty terrible. You know, it's building up to this where I'm going to finally get to see her when mm-hmm. I see her. Oh man, that's going to be There's scary. There's going to be stuff. some major reveal. Yeah. Yeah. But that just doesn't pan out. No. And her demise at the hands of Christopher Lee was pretty easy. Yeah. He literally just walks in, yeah. sees... Swoops in with a sword. <laughs> he sees uh, Paul in a corner, trying not to look at her, but he turns around and looks at her anyway for some reason. Yeah. And he just comes up behind her, Christopher Lee does, and lops off her head with a sword. Yeah. Boom. That's it. And the final shot of her head on the ground is just laughably bad. Oh, man. Yeah. Mm. It's it's real bad. We we actually have a better looking Medusa head in a closet here in this house. We do. It's what's on the film, <laughs> and you made it by hand. I did. Now you know the uh, creators of this film didn't have YouTube on their side at the time, but this is true. Hey, but Ray Harryhausen's alive during this time period, right? Yeah. Why like, don't you hire him? Where's the Harryhausen Medusa in this movie? They could yeah. really, if Hammer Horror and Harryhausen could, yeah, mesh up. They do for one movie. <gasps> what? What but <laughs> it's the uh, like I don't know one million years BC the one with uh, Raquel Welch in the oh, uh, fur bikini yes yeah which you know most people remember Raquel the Welch in the fur bikini exactly the poster <laughs> of Raquel Welch in a fur bikini they don't really remember Ray Harryhausen from there but anyway <laughs> me and my son did a cosplay as Perseus and Zeus that's right and so for me to pull off Perseus. I need a, you know, a you Medusa, have a Medusa head. Medusa head, or you just look like a Greek in a toga. So I put together a Medusa head that looks better Which, than the one wait, that was in this film. You don't technically look like a Greek in a toga. You look <laughs> like a Scandinavian-esque West Virginian in a toga. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know who else liked my Medusa head? Who? Not to make you jealous or anything, but Billy Piper likes my Medusa head. Oh, that's right. You have a picture <laughs> with Billy Piper. Yeah, we went and got a picture with Billy Piper. She grabbed the Medusa head out of my hands, held it looking like scared. Yes. And they took the picture. She played along so well with that. She did. Points to her. She gets a high five too. Yeah. She has nothing to do with the nothing movie to, The Gorgon, but she, get, but she gets a high five. She did hold a Medusa head. She did. There you go. <laughs> so remember my question when you were talking about your high fives and yes. you're, you were talking about Peter Cushing and his character, how he's kind of playing this. He's lying about and covering, or he's allowing, I don't know if he's outright lying, but he's uh-huh. allowing these deaths to be covered up. And he's just saying, well, there's a murderer on the loose. When he knows these bodies yeah. are coming back to his surgery slash dentist office slash insane yeah. asylum as not mummified, they're... they're uh, Turned to stone. Yeah, thanks. Turned to stone. They've become statues. Yeah. Well, that's not a murderer, clearly. Murderers don't have... Human mm-hmm. murderers do not yeah. have the capabilities to turn someone to stone. So why... My question is, why is he covering that up? Yeah. And they don't... You don't really know... They just left a lot off on the front half of the film as far as understanding his attraction to Barbara Steele's character mm-hmm. and knowing that, oh, wait, he cares for her, but he also knows that she's got some sort of secret. Yeah. Like her memory lapse is a little too coincidental with these murders. Right. And when these things started and when she showed up in our town, mm-hmm. you know, like. Like there, there's just a lot of pieces that I, I think there's a whole lot of storytelling mm-hmm. there that got dropped somewhere. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why? <laughs> it's all implied. I think it's implied he knows that the killer is this woman that he loves. 
So he can't have it get out that there's this terrible Gorgon on the loose. Right. Because people might come out with the swords. And take her. And take her, kill her. And that's the woman he loves. But it's a real slow buildup to yeah. us understanding that in the movie. Yeah. Like they, I think there was a better way to play that. So we, we understand because in mm-hmm. the, uh, in the early, I mean, almost two thirds of the movie, mm-hmm. it just looks like he's lying and being dishonest and yeah. doesn't want to face the facts. Right. It's not till way late in the movie that you start realizing like, oh, there's a, He's he likes her, yeah, and there's something going on with her, right? And then of course they do like really pin it on her, mm-hmm. you know, in that latter half of the movie. But so much has happened that it doesn't really sell the whole like, well, he's been defending her all this time. He's yeah. protecting her. Mm-hmm. It just made him look like he was either too dense to own mm-hmm. up to something weird going on, yeah, or he's got other weird motives for covering this all up. Well, I think, too, he is a five on the Enneagram. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's looking for information. He's trying to figure out everything he can. He's a healer. He's a doctor. Right. And he should have answers for this. And he should have answers. I can get behind that. I I think most of the film, he's trying to figure out how to handle this situation. And he would like to heal her. And he keeps her by his side, literally, you know, much of the the work So she might just be his great experiment. He could, she could be, yeah. Yeah, he's like trying to figure that, I mean, not just, because obviously he has he has feelings for her, mm-hmm. but also, I, I could see that as a mm-hmm. five on the Enneagram, he's and studying her. Studying her, and he doesn't express emotion all that great, right? I mean, right. he's not uh, effusive with how no. he feels. He's not a bubbly kind of guy. No, uh, true. So, but again, a lot of what I'm saying is uh, implied. You know, they don't just come out and tell you. no. You know, you have to put the pieces together, I think, to come up with that. You kind of have to jump to conclusions, really. Uh Because like we said, I mean, that was really the pacing and the storytelling. It it kind of drops off in a lot of places here. And this is uh, not really a low point, but a, uh, you know, I think a trap of the film. Because she turns people to stone, Mm -hmm. there is no blood. There is no gore. It's basically somebody's just... They look like me and you, or they're stone. Right. And there is that, we get a couple scenes where I think they try to scare you when their skin is like, their foreheads get It looks like they're getting chicken pox or something. Yeah. Just on their foreheads. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't really, it wasn't really scary. <laughs> no, no. It was actually a pretty bad makeup job. Right. It didn't even look organic. They looked yeah, like somebody glued rivets and painted them yes. on their foreheads. Yeah. Oh, and there's something we haven't mentioned that we're led to believe that at sometimes the Medusa character, Magira, sings and some people are lured to her, almost like she's a siren. Right. There's this eerie kind of high pitched singing that happens in the background and and it Mm -hmm. draws some of these people to her, was what it seems like, but they didn't get a lot of it. But at one point, you can see Medusa's reflection when the singing is happening and you can see kind of the silhouette of the snakes on her head and it makes it look like the snakes are doing the singing. I know. (laughs) And I was like, wait a minute, are the snakes singing? What's happening here? That that kind of broke me out of the movie a bit there. Yeah. They look silly. You know, to your point about jumping to conclusions, she can manipulate people to turn around and look at her. Right. Because you're thinking, surely, Peter Cushing, you know, don't turn around and look at her. Yeah. And same thing with this guy, Paul. You you lost your dad. You lost your brother. You know what's happening. Why are you turning around and looking at her face? Right. 
But then earlier in the film, he didn't do that. He was smart enough to just look at her as, as a reflection. Right. And so there was some inconsistency there. Like, can can she manipulate you to turn, make you turn around? Yeah. And then some people she looks at and they're sewn within a couple hours uh, or sometimes they're immediate. You know, like the dad, he wrote, sat down and wrote down a three page letter before exactly. he turned to stone. Yeah. It took him like, what, a days or a whole day at least to turn to stone? And Peter Cushing, like, he was dead. Like, yeah. he looked at her, or she looked at him, and he was dead with in a few minutes. Well, and I'm assuming the girl, the very first girl that we lose um, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie, it seemed like that happened pretty rapid, too. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah, just inconsistencies. Just leaves you guessing, like, you know, how does this science work? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> what are the extent of her powers? And do right. they work the same all the time? Yeah, yeah. She didn't eat her Wheaties for breakfast. She <laughs> doesn't, I don't know, turn you to stone immediately. Yeah. I don't know. So one actor we haven't talked a lot about is Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have a lot to do in this film, even though it sounds like he does, because he kills the main villain. Right. <laughs> Uh, but that's w- it. That's kind of the one thing he does. <laughs> well, he does slap Paul pretty good in that. Oh, I forgot. Scene, right? <laughs> yes, he did. It was a pretty good slap too. It was a very. And he hard sent him slap. to bed to his room. Right? Yeah, he very much became like mean dad to yeah. this Paul guy. <laughs> and what was the connection there? His father knew him. He was a professor somewhere. Yeah, I don't even. We don't even really know why Christopher Lee shows up and gets involved in this situation, other than there was yeah. like a family connection. Well, they're both professors. Uh, any other people we want to mention? This. I mean, it is a small cast. It's a very small cast, and probably, I mean, the set. We're in two or three places in the whole movie, right? Like, we're, yeah. But it's very much like that, where everything is kind of happening in one space, right? Yeah. With a very small cast of characters. Yeah. So. I mean, that lives and dies with great writing. Right. If you don't have great writing, exactly. then you have a movie that's a little bit boring. Yeah, where I think this could, maybe in the hands of Rod Serling, mm-hmm. this could have been much more suspenseful. Yeah. And Woodward, because he's the master of getting that all, you know, in the setting is in one place and it's one or two or three characters mm-hmm. and everything has to happen just with good scripting. Mm-hmm. You're not asking for much, are you? First, it was Ray Harryhausen doing the special effects. If I could then it's get, Rod yes. Serling. Okay, wait. This is gonna. We're gonna make this an awesome movie. We're gonna get Rod Serling to do the script. Yes. We're gonna get Ray Harryhausen to do the special effects for Medusa or Magira, whatever her name is. Magira, yep. Um, and then you know we'll get. You already have Cushing and Lee. Yeah, we've already got Cushing and Lee, Terrence Fisher, Keith Bernard. Yeah, Bernard. <laughs> Doing the music, this this will be an epic movie. That's all you need, guys. That's why all... why didn't you make this happen? Let's somebody get on this. Somebody get on this. <laughs> <laughs> I think this movie would be ripe for a, a remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's you know, remake they, this. They Don't remake, remake the classics yeah. that we already love. Yeah, why do they remake all these movies that we love? Like yeah. remake something that like could have been great. Willy Wonka did not need a remake. No, it really Sorry, didn't. Johnny Depp, but no. No. No, thank you. Ben-Hur didn't need a remake either. No. Sorry, we're mm-hmm. rabbit trailing right out of here. But this this could really be a good remake. Yeah. I think the one we did last week, Battle Beyond the Stars. I mean, that could be a good remake. Yeah, Nick's a few problematic characters. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get to the point where we say, yay or nay, what say ye, Kim? I would say, you know, and I'm not this person yet. So if you're a a diehard classic horror fan, I'd give it a little yay because you you probably just want it to round out your wealth, your breadth of knowledge in Mm -hmm. the subject, right? 
Um, but it, just as a casual movie watcher, it's mm-hmm. a soft nay. Like, yeah. I, I didn't have to see this. I, I did enjoy the sets and the mm-hmm. seeing that whole Hammer Horror aesthetic play out again mm-hmm. as I'm beginning to like that and learn more about it. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that. But as far as the story and the scripting goes, meh. Yeah. It's a, that's a soft nay for me. Yeah. Yeah, I would liken this to, say, uh, a date. So remember, before we were married, maybe you go on a date with somebody. Maybe somebody's really good looking. <laughs> like, they're really, they look like everything that you would want. Okay. But once you start talking to them, you realize, like, there's just not a lot of substance there. <laughs> <laughs> but the point was, you know, this movie looks like it should be everything that you want. Yes. You know, the, the scenery, like we talked about, the aesthetic, mm-hmm. the mood, the, the vibe, music. the music. Well, even knowing who your villain is going to be is a classic Greek character. Yeah. Yeah, we love Greek mythology. Yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff's just, I don't know, it's fun. Yeah, it stands the test of time. Yeah. There's a lot they could have done with this. But then when you actually watch the film, you're kind of like, well, it's just a disappointment. Yeah, I'm going to add a, a new category in our yay or nay watching. Can, okay. it, can there be a meh? Yeah. This is a meh. Just a meh. It's not, I, don't, I don't really say nay. Yeah. Because I think you brought this up. Um, mm-hmm. If it were on playing in the background of like one of our favorite restaurants in town, Chop Shop. Shout mm-hmm. out to Chop Shop. Yep. Shout it out. It kind of has a like a biker slash rockabilly vibe to this burger joint, right? Uh-huh. And they typically have a big screen playing with old classic horror films just kind of rolling in the background while mm-hmm. you're eating your burgers. Right. Like, if it were playing at Chop Shop while we were eating, it'd be perfectly fine. Like, you'd look up, you see this amazing hammer horror scenery, and yeah. you're like, cool, this is an old classic movie, but you're missing all the lines because you're talking and eating dinner and, you know, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Like, it's just there for ambiance. Right. So, I, I you know, this mm-hmm. is my meh category. Like, it could play in the background of, I don't know, a Halloween party at your house or, mm-hmm. you know, while you're eating dinner at the chop shop or somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. And it's great. But to sit down and, like, watch it for an evening's movie. Yeah. Eh, yeah, if you're going to gather your family together for a movie night, you know, you're all going to pile up on top of each other on the furniture to watch one movie for the mm-hmm, week. Mm-hmm. And you pick this one, you're probably going to be disappointed. Or you're going to get a good nap out of it. Yeah, or you may just doze <laughs> off. But, you know, if you're somebody that's watching, I mean, you're, you're a movie-holic, right? Like, you're cranking out movie after movie. Right. You know, and this is just one of three movies you're going to watch in a day. Yeah, it'll be a bump in the road. Yeah, go for it, you know? I think yeah. it's worth it. It's fun. A couple quick corrections I want to make. Earlier, we said Batman... The Bold and the Brave. My son corrected me. It's actually Batman, The Brave and the Bold. And also, we accidentally called Barbara Shelley Barbara Steele a couple times. Our apologies to Miss Shelley. So what are we watching next week? We will be watching Highlander from 1986. It is an action fantasy adventure starring Christopher Lambert as an immortal, time-traveling Scottish Highlander. This movie is rated R. Um, It has some language. Um, has a lot of violence. These uh, immortals have to behead one another to basically to be able to level up. Um, and there's some, uh, shall we say, adult times in this also. So just be warned, this is a rated R film. So enjoy your movie watching this week and we'll chat next week. Peace out. Peace out. <laughs>